It's time for the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast. On this edition of the Kirby on Sports Podcast, we are glad to be joined by Haley McGoldrick breaking down week eight action in the National Football League along with some college football talk and WNBA talk. All that and so much more, but before we begin... We would like to thank our brand new sponsor at Regroup Building Services, specializing in custom homes, remodels, additions, and so much more. If you're looking for a new place to call home or just need repairs on your current home, look no further. Regroup Building Services has you covered. Make sure you check them out today at www.regroupbuildingservices.com. Once again, that's regroupbuildingservices.com. We do the honeydews that your honey don't. Make sure you tell them Josh sent you. We are also sponsored by PM Plus Reserves, now expanding their territory to serve the I-81 corridor from Hagerstown, Maryland to Stanton, Virginia. All right. It's time for another edition of the Kirby on Sports podcast, starting right now. This is Dave Johnson, voice of the Washington Wizards. You have connected to the right place because you are listening to my man, Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Kirby on Sports Podcast. Once again, another great episode for you. As always, we're sponsored by Regroup Building Services and PM Plus Reserves. Big thanks, as always, to Dave Johnson, MPT Now Productions. productions and productions by Quetch for all their support of the Kirby on sports podcast as well. Um, first time in a while, we actually have a guest in studio after myself going solo for so many weeks. It's so great to bring on as a guest contributor for the show today to cover, um, Every anything and everything week eight that happened, we have Haley McGoldrick. Um, you can catch her on Twitter at Goldie on Sports. She covers the WNBA for Sportsnet and all around a great person. She's knowledgeable and she knows about everything about sports. She's also um, one of the co-hosts of the Ball Girls podcast. And um, we had Jordan on the show about maybe a month or two ago talking MLB and the situation with that. So, Haley, 
thanks so much for being here. Um, my first question for you, uh, I, I know this pandemic has hurt and hurt a lot of people. Uh, I, I just want to make sure everything going is going well with you and that you're staying safe. And how has your job been affected by this pandemic? Well, first, thank you for having me, Josh. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, everything's going well for me. Um, the weird thing is, I don't know if my writing job would have happened without the pandemic, which is weird to say, but with everything happening remotely and a lot of people not having jobs in offices anymore, um, they kind of outsource to people and, you know, I got the gig that I could just do from home. I didn't have to go into the office and, you know, work in a newsroom environment that's definitely tough to work in sometimes. So honestly, it kind of benefited me in the sense that I get to cover the WNBA from the comfort of my couch. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been hard on, you know, the mental health and everything like that, especially I don't live with my family or even near my family. My family lives about an hour away. So it's really hard being alone a lot of the time. Um, but sports definitely helps get me through it. And great friends like you and everyone who I've met through Twitter, which is kind of insane that I have such a great network of people who I know through the internet. But yeah, the pandemic has definitely affected both positive and negatively in my life. So can you sort of, um, br uh yeah, I've never covered the WNBA because, like, every time I try to find a game, like, you can't find it. I, I, I'm not sure if that's the same for everybody, but I know this WNBA finals has been exciting. So, can you sort of briefly discuss what you liked out of the WNBA playoffs with this pandemic and, um, I, I and some of the great plays and everything you have seen throughout the season? Yeah, absolutely. And to your point where you can't find it, um, it's true. A lot of the times it's only available through Facebook or YouTube TV, but with the WNBA being one of the first leagues back, some of the games were on TV and the ratings skyrocketed because if it's on TV, people are going to watch it, but it's true. It's really hard to find. Otherwise, you know, as soon as the NBA, NHL, MLB were back, you know, the WNBA kind of took a back seat and it was really hard to find, but the playoffs were great. You know, I feel bad for the Las Vegas Aces and that both Kelsey Plum and Liz Cambage were out. So they didn't have two who would have been in their starting five. Obviously Asia Wilson played out of her mind. Derek Hamby was also hurt. So that sixth woman of the year um, was also hurt. So it was hard for them, but you know, Brianna Stewart finals MVP, She's now in four years, won two finals MVPs and two titles. She's just incredible. Jewel Lloyd, Sue Bird is literally 40 years old and set the assist record in a WNBA finals game. Like there was just so many great plays and so many great players. As much as Brianna Stewart was the MVP, there were so many players, on Alicia Clark, Jordan Canada on that Seattle team who were just amazing. They have one of the most well-rounded benches in the league. It was really fun to watch. And although the Las Vegas Aces did get swept, they had a fun playoff against the Connecticut Sun, who were a seventh seed, who probably were counted out in the first few weeks of the season. It was just a really great season. And I'm really glad that the Wolves went over so well. So uh, my question to you, were you covering the WNBA last season? No, this was my first season. I kind of got thrown into it unexpectedly um, one of my mentors Shereen Ahmed who I am just obsessed with she's just the most amazing woman she reached out to me and was like hey um, I know of this gig I'm going to give them your name and I 
was like, oh my God, amazing. Thank you so much. And then I chatted with the NBA editor at Sportsnet. And then here we are. It, I've always been a casual fan. Obviously, I played basketball for 10 years growing up. Basketball is one of my favorite sports, even to watch. Obviously, college football comes first for my favorite. Everyone knows that. But basketball is definitely a close tie for second. Uh, soccer is another one of my loves. But um, I was always a casual fan. You know, obviously, knew Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart, um, all the bigger names. But now it's like you hear of even all the players who had breakout seasons and the storylines of like um, Shea Petty who hit the buzzer beater against her old team in a single elimination game in the playoffs or Joanna Bonner and things like that. It's just those little things that you learn when you start covering the league that even as a casual fan, you don't really pay attention. You just kind of watch your team, whatever. And like you said, whenever you can find a game, but yeah, this was my first season and I feel like I learned so much and it's crazy that, people would consider me an expert now because I'm definitely far from and there's so many other people who are just incredible covering this league and I feel like um you know a little mouse next to them but yeah this is my first season well yeah being a guy who runs a podcast near the DC area um sort of showing some bias here but I was just very disappointed to not see the mystics in the running for um another title I, I'm not sure if you saw um, uh, the title they won last season, but I, I thought that was pretty incredible, and I thought they had a good shot going back-to-back. Back. But um, the, are, are you – do you like what the Mystics had from last season as compared to this season? Um, do you get a chance to really see what they had? Well, obviously this season they didn't have Elena Deladon and Tina Charles, who are two huge playmakers, you know, that's like the Seattle Storm not having Brandon Stewart or the Las Vegas Aces not having Asia Wilson. You, you are not expected to do well when you don't have your star player. And so the Mystics still made the playoffs even, you know, and they started. I remember the first article I actually wrote for the WNBA. Um, the Mystics were like 3-0 and or 4-0, and and they were doing really well at the beginning of the season. Then it kind of dropped off, and then they made the playoffs, but then they were done in the first round. Um, but they, you're not expected to go back to back. It's the same thing with, you know, the Seattle Storm last year. The Seattle Storm didn't win last year because they didn't have Sue Bird or Brandon Stewart. Hi. Alicia Clark's great. Jewel Lloyd's great. But you're not going to win your title without your finals MVP. Absolutely. So um, just some WNBA talk to get us started here. But um, let's move into week eight in the NFL. Um uh, it was a very exciting week, a lot of close games, a lot of upsets, and a lot of expecteds in my book. So um, let's get this started, Haley. Glad you're with us once again, Haley McGoldrick from Sportsnet, and she's on the Ball Girls podcast. Uh, so obviously, I want to start week eight off with the Thursday night matchup, the Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers. Um, and to, to start off, you see this huge hit on Teddy Bridgewater. Um, and uh, this is just a random thought to start this off. But um, you see that huge hit to the head by Teddy Bridgewater. And ne next thing you know, there's a big scrum and a scuffle. And you look at that and like, the, why didn't the Dallas Cowboys do that when um, 
when John Bostic laid that nasty hit on Andy Dalton. Uh, so to start this off, I just want to say, um, Dallas, you might want to learn from Carolina on how to actually um, protect your quarterback and not just stand around. Yeah, no, I mean, I think maybe seeing what happened in Dallas is why um, everyone on the Panthers kind of went for it. But yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot of hits and people will say, oh, they were trying to go for it and he moved, yada, yada, yada. But there's really no excuse to ever go for somebody's head. And I feel bad for Teddy. I mean, I was a big XFL gal, so it was nice to see PJ Walker in there. But uh, yeah, I feel really bad for Teddy, but I'm glad that his team is on his side. Absolutely. So let, let's get into this game, breaking it down a little bit. Atlanta finally keeps a lead. It came down to a last-minute uh, drive. Teddy Bridgewater ended up uh, throwing an interception. He was cleared, able to return. But Atlanta's defense brought the pressure, which you don't really see. You haven't really seen from this Atlanta team so far. They've been struggling. But this was a huge game to boost Atlanta's confidence um, as they beat the Panthers 25-17. to 17. They had three sacks on Teddy Bridgewater, and um, all in all, I, I think the defense brought a lot of pressure, and um, that, that was the determining factor, in my opinion. You, you look here, and the teams only gave up one turnover each. Stats-wise, Carolina could have easily won this game but the, I, I think there were just some costly mistakes and the Teddy Bridgewater injury just um, didn't help things that much. But Atlanta, a much-needed win in Carolina on Thursday night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Carolina had it in the first half for sure. Curtis Samuel was on fire. Um, shout out Ohio State alum. We'd love to see it. But they definitely put on the pressure in the second half. The Falcons did. And Matt Ryan made a run himself, Todd Gurley. It's nice to see Gurley producing for their offense. But definitely their defense is the team that won this game. I feel like if they didn't shut down players like Curtis Samuel in the second half, then it would have been out, especially after the Bridgewater injury. But, um, yeah, it's, it's good to see. I think Atlanta's definitely a better team than their stat line shows, you know. Matt Ryan's a half-decent quarterback. He was in a Super Bowl a few years ago. You can't really count him out. Um, but they've just not had some great luck. I don't think they've had the cohesion. You know, you look at players like Todd Gurley and Julio Jones, and you're like, how, you know, how is this team not, like, what is it, 8-0 at this point? Like, but I think it's really hard to find that chemistry sometimes, especially when these players are all coming from other teams, right? So yeah. I think that's the problem sometimes when you've got these guys and, you know, on paper, it seems great. You look at the Bucks trying to go for Antonio Brown um, and it's like, regardless of, I don't agree with who he is off the field, but just on the field production from that standpoint, purely, he's a good player. Him with Tom Brady, who's one of the best of all time. It's like, that should be a good combo, but will it be, you know, you can't always guarantee that just because somebody's been good. It's the same thing with, you know, Odell on the Giants when he went to the Browns. Everyone's like, oh, the Browns are going to be great because he's on the Browns now. And obviously we've seen that the Browns, they've been better. But it's just, I think it's really hard to find that chemistry sometimes. And I think this game really showed that the Falcons are finally starting to get that chemistry. Yeah, that that's a really good point, bringing up chemistry, because you saw the lack of gameplay from Atlanta, so to speak, and just how it – 
it, it just, they looked terrible. They were giving up turnovers. They were just, I, I mean, they were in the games, but it came down to last second drives. You saw last week, Todd Gurley didn't know when to stop. Instead, instead he went into the end zone for a touchdown, and you can't give Matt Stafford the ball back. So stuff like that. After a while, you're going to get your chemistry together, and you're going to know what works and what doesn't for your team. And that's how you win football games. You got to know the system and you got to work together to play the game and win. Exactly. Totally agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. So Atlanta 25 to 17 gets a much needed win. Let's move on to a very exciting game. I, I didn't really expect this. I thought well, when I saw this matchup, I was like, oh, Green Bay is going to blow Minnesota out of the water. But you look here in Minnesota, and it wasn't Kirk Cousins. It was Minnesota putting up 28 points against Green Bay, 22. And this game, I was flipping back and forth, and this game was one in the trenches by Dalvin Cook. Hands down, 100%. That, this stat line for Dalvin Cook, 30 carries, 163 yards. I, I, I mean, I don't think I've seen Dalvin Cook rush for that much this season. That's how bad the Vikings were. And the, it, you look here, and obviously Kirk Cousins was not producing or something like that. And yeah, he only threw 160 in a touchdown. And but Dalvin Cook stepped up, had three touchdowns on the ground, and one touchdown in the air. And man, I'm telling you what, this is a Vikings team that needed this win in the division. They absolutely needed this win in the division. I don't know if it's going to help much. They're only two and five, but still, this was a game that was needed to boost their confidence. Green Bay. Um, what really shot themselves in the foot was the aggressive play calling because you, you see Green Bay, they had two drives that when they went for it on fourth down and they had two turnovers on downs because of it. Um, their first drive in the fir- third quarter, it was a turnover on downs after a six play 38-yard drive, and the Minnesota Vikings converted off of that. Then in the fourth quarter, they do it again, and the Vikings' defense stops them. But the Vikings' defense, um, it was sort of interesting to see because their defense is really, really young still. And like you said, with chemistry, I think they started getting their chemistry together, and the Vikings came out. And Green Bay almost came back, but the Vikings just hang on, hung on to the very end and ended up beating Green Bay. Yeah, no, I mean, the game was definitely Devontae Adams versus Dalvin Cook. That's pretty much the only people who were producing. Um, but like you said, Green Bay, really, it was their game to lose. Um, if they would have been better in shutting down Dalvin Cook, um, they would have easily run away with this game, even though Jamal Williams didn't produce because Minnesota was really good at shutting down the run game. Um, it's, it's kind of not sad, but you know, a team like Minnesota, like you said, absolutely. You were counting them out before the game even started, you know, and like you said, Kirk Cousins wasn't the difference. 
nor was Aaron Rodgers. It was Dalvin Cook, and they just couldn't find a way to shut that down. He, in the first half, he scored both the touchdowns, and even still, then he ran away with two more in the third quarter. Of course, Green Bay answered again with Demonte Adams, but they just figured out what's working for them, the hole in Green Bay's defense, and they ran away with it. I mean, I've I've never seen this team play better than what I've do, uh, what I have seen this past Sunday, and it it, it was crazy. But I, I still look at this in um, as a DC based podcaster. What if Kirk Cousins stayed with the Washington football team? Would he perform this poorly? I I, I still think about this, and I'm like. Man, Kirk Cousins out here throwing three, four picks a game. I'm just glad he did not stay with Washington because I feel like Kirk Cousins has really regressed a lot since his time in Washington going over to Minnesota. After that uh, that playoff win against the Saints, I just feel like he's not doing so well. He has some bursts of good games, but still, he just does not look like the Kirk Cousins you have seen in Washington. No, and even, like, I hate to say it because, frankly, Aaron Rodgers is getting up there as well, and he's doing pretty well. But, you know, as you get older, you're competing with these young quarterbacks, obviously not in this, you know, circumstance against Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, you see a lot of these guys who are very mobile. There's a lot of dual threat quarterbacks. You look at the Cardinals, you look at Kyler Murray. I'm afraid of Kyler Murray because he can throw a dime and he can also see the opening and run and go for a rushing touchdown. And Kirk Cousins just doesn't have that. Obviously, he, you know, Aaron Rodgers attempted almost three or more than three times the passes that Kirk Cousins does. He looked afraid out there. You know, Adam Thielen, you can't do anything when you're your quarterback's not going to throw to you. Of course, he's lucky he had Dalvin Cook to just hand off to. But he's, like I said, he's not the difference maker Dalvin Cook was. Yeah, absolutely. This game was 110% won in the trenches. The Minnesota Vikings, 28. The Green Bay Packers, 22. Let's move on to probably one of the best games on this Sunday slate, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. A classic rivalry that came down to the very end, but um, Lamar Jackson, obviously uh, two interceptions really set them back. And I, I feel like that was the key difference in this game. The Ravens could have potentially won this game. Even with the two interceptions, it came down to a last second play. Um, some fans were not happy that a helmet to helmet was not called. I didn't really see it. I'm not sure if you did Haley, but um Pittsburgh is looking outstanding, and I will say this again, Big Ben looks like he has not missed last season at all. Yeah, I agree, and Big Ben kind of diminishes my point about trying to beat Father Time, so uh, yeah, I don't think anyone had the Pittsburgh Steelers going 7-0 at this point, Um, and the Ravens too, after the season they had last year, you'd think they would repeat that for sure, Lamar Jackson, young quarterback, He had a great season last year, you know, didn't even complete half his attempts, two interceptions, only a 65.8 rating. Like, that's not what you want to see out of your quarterback. Um, And meanwhile, Ben, his targets, you know, four different people scoring. Um, You've got, you know, Chase Claypool. He's one of the probably 
more popular young personalities in the league right now, but he's a beast. I hate that he's Canadian and I support Canadians because he went to Notre Dame and we all know how I feel about Notre Dame, but it was, it was a good game to watch. Absolutely. Both teams were in it. Um, but the Steelers, yeah, I just, their chemistry, speaking of chemistry, they're a team who has really good chemistry. Doesn't matter who's downfield, who he's handing it off to big Ben knows what he's doing. And they really looked great out there. They deserve to be 7-0. Yeah, I, I really do love the fact that a, a quarterback knows how to spread the ball around. I really do love Chase Claypool. I really love the weapons that are around Big Ben. And I, I, I think give credit where credit's due. Um, the receivers are really helping Big Ben out. And um, if I, I'm going to go on a stretch and say if – Big Ben didn't have the weapons that he did. Their record might not be 7-0. and Oh, absolutely. I think that can go for any team, really. Um, you look at, like, the Patriots when Edelman was out and things like that. Um, I, of course, if you don't have your star receivers, you're not going to win games. If you, people, you put people in that slot and they're really good at it. And, again, it really does come down to chemistry. It's those teammates – if you know that, yes, Claypool is going to run that route and I know exactly where he's going to be and I know how fast he is and if I can throw it an extra 10 yards downfield because he's going to be able to run to it, I can do that. Um, and obviously you've got players who are making catches that some others might not in their spot. So, yes, I totally agree. It's definitely a two-person, two you know, it takes two to tango. But I'd also, you know, Ben needs to be able to read the field and he still does that very well. Yeah, and another point in this game, the rain really played a factor in handling the football. There were a lot of fumbles, and um, yeah, and I, I feel like if it wasn't raining, the ball would be carried a lot better than it was in the rain, and I think some of the gameplay was sloppy because of that, but Baltimore, it came down to a last-second play as time expired, and they could not get the job done. Um, it, it was a classic rivalry all in all, and I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing the next time they play, which I believe is on Thanksgiving. It's 28, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, 24. Let's move on to a stunning upset. Um I mean, I, I, I didn't expect this going into this game. The Miami Dolphins and Tua getting his first start as a Miami Dolphin. But for Tua, the numbers were not great. He only threw 12 for 22, 93 yards. Did get his first touchdown pass, which is great for Tua. I, I, I love the guy. I love what Tua is all about. He's yeah, uh, great. He's great. I saw him in Alabama. He looks. He looked amazing, and I'm glad he's getting his opportunity. I still dislike how Fitzpatrick was benched over him, but over time, yeah. Who knows? Keep working, and hopefully, Tua will have some better numbers. But the Los Angeles Rams turnover shot yourself in the foot, man. Like for real. This is a Rams team with a great defense, and Miami beat you twenty-eight to seventeen. Like, it's, 
I, I, I don't really know what to say about this other than the turnovers shot themselves in the foot. And the Dolphins knew how to capitalize. And hands down, that is why the Miami Dolphins won this football game. The Rams need to go back to the drawing board and they need to figure out how to win again because they lost to a depleted 49ers team and they come out against Miami and Miami beats them. And in this game, in this game of football, if you don't know how to keep the football and you turn the ball over three, four times a game, you're not going to win football games. And that is what happened in this instance. Yeah. I mean, you look, they've got back-to-back Miami defensive fumble return and then punt return touchdowns. Like you can't, you can't be having that. It was a tie game going into the second quarter and then Miami gets three in a row. You're not coming back from that. Um, And I think they really had the wind out of their sails at that point. And, you know, it's hard when you get flustered and, you know, you're not making passes, you're throwing interceptions. Um, Like you said, Tua, Tua really wasn't the difference maker. The LA Rams beat themselves up and it's, it's sad to say sometimes and it's no discredit to Miami. Of course, you need to be able to have good defenders who can read those fumbles and run it back and, you know, not get pummeled over from DK Metcalf when they're running down the field, of course. Um, but the Rams definitely lost that game more than the Dolphins won it. If they wouldn't have made those mistakes, then the game would have been theirs. Cause like you said, their defense is great. Tua was only 12 for 22. Obviously everyone was excited for him to get a touchdown, but he only got the one out of the four that Miami had. So it was not great to see the Rams play like that. And definitely they got in their own heads. Yeah. Um, the, the Like I said before, the Rams need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what happened and what they need to do to fix this. Because in that, in their division, it is a very tough division. And if you keep losing, you're going to fall behind quickly. And we've seen it before, but, um, uh, the Miami Dolphins 28 to 17 over the Los Angeles Rams. Moving on to another exciting game the Chicago Bears against the New Orleans Saints went down to overtime 26 to 23, the final, as New Orleans squeaks away with a last second field goal in overtime. But the Bears kept themselves in this game. Um, Nick Foles looked decent. The Chicago Bears fan base, obviously, is calling for Mitch Trubisky to replace Nick Foles. I don't think that should happen. And obviously, they're going to be calling for Matt Nagy's head. They're five and three. Come on. You're over 500. You look decent. Just make the adjustments and come out next week and look good and play well. I mean, straight up. But, um, it, during this game, uh, everybody has heard this name by now, but Javon Wims, what are you thinking, man? After, after the play is over, you just straight up go to the guy, try to pull his chain, and then punch him twice with his helmet on. Uh, the stupidity there, why are you punching a player with his helmet on? I, I, I mean, you, you've seen that before. What, what are you thinking? Punching a player... With his helmet on. Like, do you want to break your own knuckles or something? Uh, Obviously, Javon Wims needs to get 
fined, suspended, and released for that, in my opinion, because that was blatantly uncalled for during that game. But we look here, Drew Brees, 31 for 41, 280 yards and two touchdowns. Nick Foles, 28 for 41, 272 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But this game was just back and forth all the way to the very end, and this was exciting football to watch. Yeah, no, I mean, the Bears are doing shockingly well this season. I don't think anyone expected them to be where they are right now. But, again, talking about teams that are not as good as they should be, that's the Saints. Um, You look at the first three quarters, and nine of their points are just field goals. They had one touchdown going into the fourth quarter. And a field goal was what won the game as well. They, you know, Jared Cook has one touchdown. Alvin Kamara didn't get anything on the run game. Um, I agree with you that I don't think uh, Mitchell Trubisky is the answer. Uh, One of my friends is a Bears fan, and he's like literally anyone else. Like, he's hoping that he's going to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or like literally anybody else because they didn't look great. Of course, Nick Foles only threw one interception, but – it just – it was a really messy game back and forth. You know it's not a great game when there's, like, at least nine points scored in field goals, and that's exactly what this was from both teams. Both teams had nine points plus scored in field goals. It was just a lot of stupid mistakes, and like you said, thing too, it's like the Mac Crabtree thing all over again. Like, it's just so unnecessary, and I get you're playing against somebody and they're your rival, but, like, what is the point? Like, why are you going and punching people? Why are you punching a helmet? Like, you're asking to break your hand. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I look, I saw that, and I was like, "Really? You punched him in the helmet? What, what does that do? Yeah, you wear a football helmet to protect yourself from big hits. What do you think a fist to the helmet is going to do?" Now, I, I feel like if I strapped on a helmet and you uh, threw me a mean left hook, Haley, I wouldn't feel a thing because I was wearing a protective football helmet. Yeah, it's just so stupid. But it's like they can literally be your biggest rival, which I'm pretty sure the Saints-Bears is not, you know, a huge wow. rivalry. But uh, it's just like, why? And obviously there's going to be repercussions. You don't just get to punch somebody and snatch their chain and get away with it. But it's just like, I, I get it was a close game. Also intentions are high and both teams were playing pretty garbage, but it just like watching that tape. back, And also if you watch the tape back, it's so funny because after the first punch is thrown, they both kind of just like stand there for a sec. And they're like, what just happened before they go for it? It was just like so unnecessary. And you see Jenkins hop off, uh, hop on Wims's back and the camera turns towards the action during the football game. And it's like, oh, man, you got uh, Jenkins on this guy's back just trying to tackle him. I'm like, what the heck is going on out here? Yeah, it was just <laughs> wild. I don't even know what happened. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about another wild finish. The Denver Broncos come from behind. They were behind in most of this football game. And they come back, a last-second game-winning um, touchdown, converting the extra point to beat the struggling Chargers 31-30. to um, Herbert had three touchdowns and two interceptions in this game. 
And Drew Locke put up an impressive 248 touchdowns, not touchdowns, 248 yards and three touchdowns along with one interception. But hats off to the Broncos for sticking into this game until the very end and coming back and beating the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, comparing Herbert and Locke, they both kind of had a similar stat line in the game. So um, it was definitely just like you said, that obviously by one point, it was a very close game. Um, I know I've said this three times, but it's true. Again, the Chargers as well. The Chargers have some really great defensive players who I don't think perform as well as they should. Obviously, they have my boy Joey Bosa, some OSU alum. But they, they've got Jenkins, um, like Michael Davis, they have players who should be stopping these plays a lot better than they are. And Drew Locke, too, really came out of nowhere and has been having a half-decent season. Of course, they're both sub-500. Like, you're you're not expecting amazing things out of either team, but also it makes for a really good game when you even – we'll talk Cowboys-Eagles later. Um, but, you know, when, when two garbage teams are playing, you're not expecting much out of it. Like – the odds for this game, the Chargers were favored, but um, that KJ Hamler catch on the last play of the game was just insane. And you watch Justin Herbert's face on the sideline. And I felt bad for the poor kid because he played well. Like it was nothing against him. But again, same thing you see this game. The last nine points scored by the Chargers, all field goals. Like their their offense collapsed in the second half of the game they started off really strong and then they had the momentum on their side and then they just blew it yep um summed it up perfectly as the broncos won that game um that wraps up our main storylines from week number eight let's get into some nuggets um from week eight as well um, starting off, um, obviously a depleted San Francisco 49ers came into Seattle and Russell Wilson cooked once again, Haley, you're the Seahawks fan. Let, uh, let's get your take on how Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks did. I know, um, Lockett didn't do much, but DK Metcalf sure did a whole lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is Lockett was one of the key players last week even though it was a loss last week Lockett was a really key player and Metcalf was kind of the one who underproduced but Metcalf is a beast like he this is the way I've wanted him to play all season and of course again Russ is the one who needs to read those plays read the defense see what's going on but they uh, they looked really good out there again though I've been saying this all season and it, that's what kind of made me not mad but a lot of people came for me after the Seahawks lost because apparently they all took the Seahawks money line all of my <laughs> friends gamble apparently but the Seahawks defense has been flaming garbage this season Russell Wilson deserves to be MVP for so many reasons and half of it is because he was 5-0 and having like no defense he had to come on the field basically every time after the defense just let somebody run 94 yards and score and still kept the Seahawks in the game. So to see the defense keep the Seattle in the lead, but even still at one point it was 27, seven. And then you look and they let San Francisco score 20 points in the second half. Like you can't, you can't be having that. Even when you have the security of knowing you've won the game and it's, 
30 to 20 with two minutes left, then they come and let San Francisco downfield. Like you just, you cannot be having that. And um, again, Metcalf and Russ were just insane. Four touchdowns from Russ, two from Metcalf. But it was just pretty unfortunate to see that in the fourth quarter alone, they let, like I said, they let San Francisco score 17 points in the fourth quarter. Like the game was literally over and then they almost came back. Like (laughs) Seattle had to have a rushing touchdown and then they were up obviously 37, but I was really disappointed in 20 points in the fourth quarter. Like you absolutely cannot be having that. That's so unacceptable. And I think the Seahawks, um, they're better than their six and one record, but also not their offense. If you put their offense with a team who has consistent defense, they're undefeated. Like they're better than the Steelers. They're Super Bowl. I think they're still Super Bowl contenders, but something's got to be done with that defensive line. Like it just is painful to watch every week. You just watch them march downfield, like first down after first down. The the team literally, they're like second and one maybe at most. It's really embarrassing to watch when Seattle has one of the most insane offenses in the league. Even I mean, obviously, I am obsessed with every player who ever came from Ohio State. But, you know, you've got Carlos Hyde having big games, coming out here rushing. Like you said, Tyler Lockett, for the most part, has been doing really well. Not this game, but DK Metcalf stepped up. You've got a lot of – Chris Carson, when he's not hurt. You've got a lot of players on this Seahawks offense who just produce, 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 and their defense just throws it all away. Yeah, so um, on staying on the topic of the Seattle Seahawks and great insight once again, Haley. Um, Russell Wilson, um, MVP. Is it no doubt? Is there any question in your mind? Is it any question in anybody's mind, or will he get written off once again? I mean, he better not. I think it's ridiculous that he's never even gotten a vote. Like, are you kidding me? The man won a Super Bowl in 2013 from nothing. It was literally the first Super Bowl in franchise history. Like, Russ has been the difference maker for a Seattle team that never had a shot in the dark before. And now, obviously, yes, Marshawn Lynch is on that team. You've got big players on that team. It wasn't just Russ. But, you know, this team is a real Super Bowl contender this year especially. And I think even if they get to, you know, the – conference championship I'm hoping the Super Bowl but even just the NFC title game um, you really can't count Russ out yeah there's going to be some young players who are making moves Um, you've got Tua he obviously only had one TD and it was like a one-yard pass Um, Joe Burrow things like that and then obviously Tom Brady's still doing really well with the Bucks you've got Big Benny 7-0 but like if you look at every game and you look who is keeping their team in the game and keeping their team alive that is Russell Wilson. Without Russell Wilson, Seattle is literally one in six. Yeah, so um, I, I think he really needs to get MVP this year. I've said it from the get-go. Russell Wilson knows how to spread the football around or focus on one target. And we saw that this game with uh, DK Metcalf. And uh, uh, straight up, if he doesn't get MVP, the whoever decides who gets league MVP – needs to uh, sit down and really evaluate should they be picking um, the MVP. Yeah, and even if Russ doesn't win, you know, you don't know what the second half of the season is going to look like, but he 
damn well better get some votes at least. <laughs> Absolutely, or else I know when I hop on Twitter, you won't be happy about it. Absolutely not. I will not shut up about it. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next nugget. The Colts dominate, dominate in this game. The Colts over Detroit, 41 to 21. Phillip Rivers, 23 for 33, only 10 incompletions. 262 yards in three touchdowns. The Colts make it to five and two. Could this be a team everybody's sleeping on and potentially could make some hay and make it to the playoffs? Um, sure looks like it from my end, but um, yeah, there's still a lot of football left to be played. But from what I'm seeing, I thought Phillip Rivers would really regress after leaving um, the Chargers and going to Indianapolis. I really thought things would change. He's an old quarterback. But Phillip Rivers still looks like a good Phillip Rivers. Yeah, no, he looked really good that game. Him, Like you said about the Falcons versus Lions game, you don't want Matthew Stafford to get the ball. But Phillip Rivers put up a similar stat line. They both looked really good. And, of course, you have to look at the schedule as well. And it's it's so bizarre. You look at the Lions who beat Arizona and then, you know, Arizona's a team who beat the Seahawks. And you're like, what's going on? Same with this Colts team. You know, they, their losses are to Jacksonville and Cleveland. Um, they've got a big game next week against Baltimore. And I think that's going to be the real decision maker um, because – they, you know, they've, they've beat Minnesota, who's a good team, of course, and then the Giants. The Giants suck. Um, the Bears, the Bears suck. Uh, Cincinnati, they've kind of found their way now. Cincinnati's games have been close. I'm not going to say Cincinnati sucks. Again, they're a team, you've got a brand new quarterback um, who, if you look at his first year at LSU, he wasn't even that great either. And then he learned his teammates and then was able to read the field better. And I think that's how Cincinnati will progress. But Indianapolis is a good team for sure, but I think next week Baltimore probably is going to expose them. Well, yeah, that is true. That is true. I I didn't even think of that, but still a great win with great stats from Phillip Rivers. Yeah, I I thought he would drop, like I said earlier, but he hasn't. And uh, hats off to Phillip Rivers. He's still looking pretty good. The New England Patriots, a lot of people are probably – smiling and cheering on New England finally sucks. They drop three straight as the uh, dominant Buffalo Bills improving to six and two, defeat the New England Patriots. Cam Newton trying to drive down, make something happen, and fumbles the football. The Bills get it and win the game. But still, it's Bill Belichick. It's the New England Patriots. And it was known that Bill Belichick still support Cam, still supports Cam Newton. It's, uh, I mean, if anybody can make a change, it's Bill Belichick, and I still think he's working on making that change. Yeah, I agree, and I mean the Bills have looked really good this season, so no discredit to them. Honestly, any other year, Seattle going into playing the Bills on Sunday, I would not be worried. This year with the Seahawks, you know, shaky defense and the Bills playing pretty well, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit like, oh, okay, Russ, you better show up. But for this game especially, yeah, I mean, both 
Josh Allen and Cam Newton, their only touchdowns were both rushing. Neither of them really knew what was going on in the air that game. And I think that makes a difference. You know, when you have Stefan Diggs on your team and he's not even making plays, um, the Patriots definitely beat themselves, I think, in this one as well. Not, again, no discredit to Buffalo. They've looked really good this season. But just the game, it, it should have been – the Patriots are two and four like two and five at this point like when when was the last time the Patriots were like sub 500 even that season Tom Brady was out and Jimmy G was in they didn't they start like four and or whatever like the Patriots have never looked this bad and again I feel like I keep saying it but it's so true it comes down to that chemistry this team is at the same quarterback for 20 years and obviously Cam Newton's a great quarterback but he's coming into a new system um, you know, I think the Patriots used to rely heavily on the ball through the air because of Brady, and he wasn't as agile, whereas Cam is going to take it himself. He's going to run the ball. We've all seen Tom Brady run. He absolutely never did that. Um, so it's kind of the Patriots, in a sense, I think a lot of people think they're being exposed in that uh, Brady was a system quarterback, yada, yada. I don't understand how, just as just a side point, but truly a lot of people say system quarterback is like an insult, but I'm like, well, yeah, obviously the system is built to score. I don't know what how that's supposed to be a bad thing, but I think Cam coming in and obviously you're losing people like Gronk. I know Gronk retired and came back or whatever, but like there was a lot of players who were on the Patriots for a really long time. And now you've got all these new guys and they're coming in here and, They've played against Bill Belichick, but they've never played for Bill Belichick. You know, you don't really know what you're getting yourselves into. Obviously, with Edelman not there, like, you don't have one of your star players. I don't think it's fair to say the Patriots are just, like, on a complete decline. But there's a lot of elements you have to look at when looking at how they're doing poorly. Because Cam is part of the reason they're in even in the game. You know, he's going to take the ball himself. He's not afraid of running the ball, whereas their last quarterback, he never really ran with it. He would throw it through the air. They have different styles of play, and I think Bill Belichick needs to take that into account. Yeah, absolutely. You see Tom Brady more of a pocket passer, and Cam Newton can actually run the football. And um, I feel like in weeks to come, Bill Belichick's going to be adjusting the game plan a lot to tailor more to Cam Newton so he has the best success, in my opinion. Because I, I, I feel like if – I feel so many quarterbacks have gone through. Yeah, the team drafts them, and here you go. Here's the team just win us a Super Bowl because that's not how it works. And we've seen that so many times. And – you look at Bill Belichick and Cam Newton, they're going to work together and they're going to make a good game plan. It might not happen this year. There's a chance New England misses the playoffs. And if that happens, they just need to work and keep on grinding out a game plan. And I think, I think by next year or the year after, they might be a dominant team. But still, it's Bill Belichick. It, it, nothing's going away and the new England Patriots are still the new England Patriots and Bill Belichick still knows what he's doing. And we've seen him multiple times. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like Belichick's a fraud, or whatever. There's a lot of things you have to take into consideration when you're looking at this team right now. And they've gone through so many changes from last season to this season. I don't think it's fair to evaluate them. And also, like I said, the second half of the season can turn around. 
you never know what's coming from them. Obviously, no, no discredit to the Bills. The Bills are looking really good. You know, next week, the Patriots have the Jets. Like, this might be their time to finally figure out what's going on because I swear to God, if they lose to the Jets, okay, yes, they're frauds. Um, but I don't think that's going to be happening. So getting a win over the Jets and kind of finding themselves, because then the next week they play Baltimore. I think they just need a game to be able to figure out what is going to work for them, and they just haven't had the opportunity to do that this season. Absolutely. Uh, my next nugget here for you listeners, um, the New York Jets front office must be filled with blind mice because why is Adam Gase still the head coach? Makes no sense to me whatsoever why Adam Gase is still the head coach. And they just got absolutely pummeled by Kansas City. And you see Kansas City, and they just run the ball on them. They dominant all around. And they, they only put up nine points against Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes had a field day, 416 and five touchdowns. Kelsey had a catch. Hardman had a catch. Robinson had a catch. And I, I didn't even mention Le'Veon Bell made his first start as a Kansas City Chief, only seven yards, but um, still. Yeah, only six points on this Kansas City Chiefs defense. They're 0-8. Why isn't Adam Gase removed from this football team? Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Sam Darno because I feel like he got thrown into this garbage pit and he is getting a lot of the blame and I don't think he deserves it. He's got nobody to throw it to. Like I've said, you know it's a bad game if like nine or more points are scored off field goals and literally all of their points are scored off field goals. And of course the Kansas City Chiefs are the reigning Super Bowl champs. Like, nobody was expecting the Jets to win this game. That's not the problem. But when you are literally producing nothing on offense, that's a problem. Scoreless second half, like you said, Patrick Mahomes had a field day. They literally won this game in the first quarter. If they wouldn't have scored again in the other three quarters, they still would have won this football game. It's just really embarrassing to watch the Jets at this point. And I feel, like I said, I feel bad for Darno. I don't think it's his fault. He's not a terrible quarterback. Um, of course, yeah, he came from USC, who doesn't play in the most tough of conferences. But I think he's just been dealt a really terrible hand. And you're going up against the reigning Super Bowl champs. You know you're not going to win this game. But when you can't even get a touchdown, it's just sad to watch at this point. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. Um, and it, it's just really sad, like you said. And th- there's got to be a change in New York, and that change still hasn't happened yet. And Adam Gase is still the head coach, which uh, blows my mind, in my opinion. So that wraps up everything we have for you week eight. It's time for what to look forward to next week. Week number nine, Haley, since you're the guest, we'll let you go first. What are you looking forward to week nine in the National Football League? Um, There's two big games, especially for me. Like I said, Seahawks-Bills. Usually I would not be looking forward to this game. I would think it's just going to be a blowout, but I think it's actually going to be a really good game, um, especially because the Bills offense is doing really well and the Seahawks defense is not. But I think the one game everyone is looking forward to is the Saints versus Bucks. You always love a Brady versus Breeze matchup. Usually it's been New England, 
Obviously now it's Tampa Bay. Um, the Saints are struggling a little bit and the Bucks look amazing. So it'll be interesting to see. It's supposed to be a close game. You know, the spread's only four points. But I think it's always great to see one of those quote-unquote goat versus goat matchups. The Breeze goat conversation is kind of up in the air. Some people agree. Some people say, no, absolutely not. But that's going to be a really good game. I think the Seahawks versus Bills is going to be really good as well. And they're not on at the same time, thank God, so we can watch both. Well, the, the Saints and Tampa Bay were on week one. So we saw that the Saints looked better than Tampa Bay, but the story could easily change because New Orleans has been struggling. And I completely forgot to mention earlier about the Saints. That there's something going on in that locker room with Michael Thomas. He's still, he still hasn't played. They're claiming he has been injured. I, I'm hearing stuff about drama going on in the locker room. I, I, I think that has a big uh, role in why the Saints are struggling. They're missing one of their best receivers. And I, I, I can't really say for sure why. I don't know. But it, still, this could be a different story, and it's on national television. So that's going to be a really interesting game to look out for. It's going to be a lot better than what we saw um, last night, the um, Eagles and the Cowboys. That was just to show you, hashtag dumpster fire NFC East. Th that's the hashtag we're rolling with because the NFC East is still a dumpster fire. So, yeah. So, anyways, m moving on to my um, what to look out for. And I circled this one from the get-go, Seattle and Buffalo. And uh, you touched on some of my points, Haley, with um, Russell Wilson looking amazing as always, but the defense for Seattle not looking so good. And I think the Buffalo Bills might have a big chance to win this game. And uh, this is really going to be a statement game for Buffalo. And if they can beat Seattle with Russell Wilson and make some hay and have some good plays, uh, I think the Bills will be in a really great spot to um, make it into the playoffs. I, I feel like this is a big statement game for Buffalo. And it, it, like you said, Haley, it's going to be a really, really good matchup. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. But I, I feel like if Buffalo comes away with this win, which I, I think could happen, I, I, I really think it could happen. And Buffalo will be making a big name for themselves. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Honestly, even as a Seahawks fan, like I said, their defense has been something else this season. <laughs> so it definitely could go either way. Like, I'm not... I'm not going to pretend that the Seahawks are better than their record shows because they're really not. They deserve to lose that game against Arizona. And they they haven't looked – They before the Arizona game, they hadn't won a game by more than eight points all season. I don't understand why everyone thought Arizona was going to be the team they also could beat when they barely beat the Vikings, the Dolphins. Um, their defense has been really garbage. But in the same breath, like I said, when you've got a healthy team of Chris Carson uh, – of Tyler Lockett, 
DK Metcalf, Russell Wilson, you're not stopping that. Like, the Buffalo Bills defense is absolutely not stopping that if they're on their A game. But then again, if the Seahawks defense is letting the Bills score every time they come down the field, it's going to be a different story. But it's going to be an actual good game, which is nice because usually the Bills is a write-off game for most teams. And to see them being 6-2 and two right now, it's actually really nice. You know, Josh Allen is getting the credit he deserves before everyone's like, man, why did we draft this kid? But he's actually showing out. Yeah, the, the Bills could make some serious hay, and that's going to come with a win against Seattle, in my opinion. That wraps up what to look for. Week 9, I've decided to add in one more mini-segment since we have Haley on the show. Um, so bear with us here. Um, Big 10 football, about two weeks in, if I remember correctly. You're a huge Ohio State fan. I know you follow college football inside and out you love ohio state you rave about the players at ohio state in the pros so really briefly and quickly haley um what have you seen so far from the first two weeks of the big 10 action not only ohio state but all across the board and um and uh, how have you liked the action so far during the first two weeks of them being back? And do you think um, the time off with COVID affected their gameplay and all? Or do you think it uh, led them to be more dominant teams in the Big Ten and so on and so forth with um, more time to prepare and whatnot? Uh, I think it gave them a little bit of an advantage because they had more time to have camps and things like that where a lot of the other teams didn't even know if they were going to be playing. And then they basically got to camp in like July and then their season started in September. So the big 10 had like two extra months of camp pretty much. Of course, there is no room for error. And unfortunately we've seen with the Wisconsin program, they're getting games canceled now and pretty much not playing games. Isn't going to hurt your like, I don't know how to word this, but basically you're not going to make, the playoff even if you go undefeated when you didn't play like three of your games and I don't even know if they're gonna let them play in the Big Ten Conference Championship even if they go undefeated just because they missed so-and-so games but I always say the Big Ten is so entertaining because the Big Ten is one of the only conferences that actually plays defense Um, a lot of people think it's boring because they're like oh it's kicking and punting but it's like okay yeah it's really cool that the you know whatever game the Red River Showdown is 54-52 and it's super high scoring but it's also nice to you know see those defensive plays and see people you know actually trying to get fumbles and sacks and things like that Um, and I find the Big Ten East especially is probably one of the more it's it's teetering off now but especially in the past one of the most dominant conference divisions in college football Um, because of course the SEC is a great conference but you look now LSU has completely dropped off Um, Florida isn't really up there anymore you basically got Bama and Georgia and not really anyone else anymore Uh, LSU of course they lost 14 starters but they've completely dropped off they looked so horrible that Bo Nix was able to put up Cam Newton type stats for Auburn against them it was just brutal to watch Um, but the Big Ten is so fun to watch and you don't know what's going to happen like 
Greg Schiano, uh, I mean, I'm happy for him at Rutgers, but he, like, just ran the Ohio State defensive line into the ground. He was the defensive coordinator the year that Maryland took Ohio State to overtime. Um, and now Rutgers is winning games, which Rutgers, I think a lot of people forget they're even in the Big Ten. And then Michigan State lost to Rutgers, but then beat Michigan. Harbaugh, I think a lot of people are calling for his head, as they should. He has <laughs> so underproduced as the Michigan head coach. It's brutal. Um, it's it's always been Ohio State versus everybody else. But this year especially, I think they're even just running away with it. Even the Penn State game, really, like, Ohio State dominated that game. They were winning, like, 31-13 at one point. And then that one kid, oh, I can't remember his name right now, from Penn State, was making those circus couches. Like, he was insane. Um, our defense definitely needs some work. Um, especially from a school that is quote unquote DBU and you've got Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa, yada, 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 you know, um, trying to think right now, I can't think of any more names. Uh, Denzel Ward, there we go. Like defenders on defenders coming out of Ohio state and their defensive line is underproducing. But I know like Justin Fields, uh, Garrett Wilson, Haskell Garrett, Chris Olave, like you're not stopping those guys. And Ohio State's offense is just above and beyond anyone else. And I'm hoping that they'll get their revenge against Clemson this year because, like I said, it's Ohio State versus anyone else. I'm actually more worried for this weekend against Rutgers than I was against Penn State because Penn State lost to Indiana, who's actually looking pretty good too. Oh, Indiana is always a sleeper team, I find. A lot of people will, you know, if SEC fans will call like Kentucky a sleeper team, which makes me laugh. I'm like, okay, Kentucky's a basketball school, but sure, whatever you say. Um, but Indiana's usually a sleeper team. Tom Allen's got a pretty good program out there. But uh, this weekend, I think, is a half-decent slate. Um, I don't know. Wisconsin had a few good games, but obviously they're all canceled now. Ohio State versus Rutgers maybe will be a good game. Maybe we'll just be a bloodbath, especially Ohio State playing Greg Schiano. Um but the Big Ten is just so fun to watch. It's not, you know, one team dominating everybody. And I think that's especially why I don't really enjoy ACC football because, you know, Clemson's just going to stomp on everybody. And, of course, that brings in this weekend when Clemson's playing Notre Dame, but Trevor Lawrence is out. If Clemson loses, well, it's going to be like, well, Trevor Lawrence is out. What did you expect? But then Notre Dame fans are going to be like, see, we can play in a conference and win, and you know how I feel about Notre Dame. But oh, I could just talk about Big Ten football forever. I'm just rambling at this point, but, like, I just – I think it's so fun to watch. The games have been really good. And I think, yes, they had a bit of an advantage having that time off. But also, like they said, there's no room for error. All the other teams in the AP pool are 6-0 and and or, like, 7-0. and And Ohio State's 2-0. and If you lose one game when you only have eight, you're done for. So I think it also makes it that much harder. And so a lot of people are going to be, you know, if Ohio State makes the playoff, like, they didn't even play 12 games. Why did they get in? But it'll show, you know, if they beat whoever they're playing in the playoff, speaks volumes as to who they are as a team. And even the Pac-12, they're not coming back until this weekend. They're another two weeks behind. They're only having a six-game season. Same thing. A lot of people are thinking USC or Oregon's going to do something. But there's no room for error in these conferences, and I think that's what makes it harder versus, you know, you can have a one loss and be in the SEC and still be ranked in the top ten because it is what it is right now. Well, I must say that was very, very informative. And I know exactly who I will be reaching out to if I ever do a college football only podcast. <laughs> yeah, I could ramble about college football forever. Oh, yeah. I have 
like Ohio State scores memorized and I it's really my dad is from Ohio that's a lot of people question why I'm in Canada I'm so obsessed with college football my dad is from Ohio but that is my one true love I do love the NFL and of course I root for a lot of Buckeyes in the NFL I actually a customer at work the other day was saying he's a Saints fan and I was telling him I'm not a Saints fan but I respect the Saints because they have so many OSU players but yeah I um I really love college football and I don't know how there's people who don't enjoy it. I guess if you don't have a college affiliation, then maybe I know for you. I mean, you could cheer for what Washington? Do you have a college team? Uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah, the Hokies. Oh yeah, you were telling me Virginia Tech. Yes, you did tell me that. Yeah. Because I was reminiscent of 2014 when you beat us <laughs> and then we still won the national championship. So thanks for that. <laughs> to go win out the season. Um. I, I didn't really care, but I, I was just like, uh, you know, I remember when Virginia Tech beat Ohio State, and I was like, I wonder if she was a fan back in the day. So, and I, I you know, I, I don't really care that much about college football because, I mean, I, I usually, Saturdays are usually a busy time for me. And, um, yeah, yeah, with the amount of games on, it's not like the NFL where you have, um, like only a set amount of games, like five, five, six games, one o'clock, and then three, four games at four o'clock. You have millions and millions of games slammed on your TV, and it's like it's hard to keep up with. But I, I, I mean, I, I have some history with Virginia Tech. My family does. I, I do support the Hokies. Um, although they haven't been playing well this season, I, I, I can't really produce a good enough podcast to talk about Virginia Tech football. Yes, I did get the voice of the Hokies on John Laser. We did discuss some Hokies football stuff, which was great. But I mean, still, I can't really produce a great podcast on college football. But yet again, I still will sit down and watch a college football game, but it's more the NFL for me. But I mean, I just thought that was a really cool memory because I remember sitting down watching Virginia Tech beat Ohio State and I was like, well, wow, we beat Ohio State in Ohio State. And I was like, wow. Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, I feel like as an Ohio State fan, this is probably how like Patriots fans feel because everyone hates us and like when they beat us they're always like oh no and like, no 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 hate no shade to Virginia Tech but just like that year we won a national championship same thing with like Oklahoma when we beat Oklahoma in Oklahoma and then they came back the next year and beat Ohio State and Baker Mayfield did the stupid flag thing um and also never won a national championship so that's really good for Baker he has zero college titles love that <laughs> um but, you know, and just even the same thing, like, people will literally never forget the Purdue loss or the Iowa loss, and they're like, oh, Ohio State every season falls on their face. And I'm like, your team literally went 6-6. Six and six. Like, you can talk to me when your team has a over 500 record. Same with, like, Michigan fans are the worst. Michigan fans love to see Ohio State lose to make themselves feel better that they can't win 10 games a season or win a bowl game. Like, it's just – it's funny to see everyone hates Ohio State because they're so good. And the same thing, you got to look at Ohio State, that each year they reload. Every year they're a top five program. I say five, it's more like top three. Every year they usually finish, like, second or third in the AP poll. But 
they're a top five program year after year after year. You look at LSU, LSU just lost a national or won a national championship and yeah, they lost 14 stars, but now they're unranked. Like how do you go from being a national champion to being unranked and not being able to recruit after that, after having that amazing season with Joe Burrow. And it's kind of shocking to, to see on the flip side, Georgia, who can't win a title game to save their life, are amazing at recruiting. Kirby Smart is very good at his job. But, you know, you look at the Clemsons of the world, the Alabamas of the world, the Ohio States of the world, they're going to keep being amazing, even if they don't win that title. You know, Bama missed out on the playoff and everyone thought it was the end of the world because, you know, Nick Saban is the man. But they're going to be teams that are constantly in that top three because they know how to reload after losing 10 to 12 people to the NFL. If you want to win a title and you want to go to the league, that's where you go to school. And I think people know that. So, yeah, I am very cocky as an Ohio State fan, but I think it's well-deserved. Well, uh, all, all I know and all, all I'm going to keep in mind is that don't, don't come at Haley with college football unless you know what you're talking about because uh, being Haley McGoldrick, she's going to roast you. if uh, you, you don't know what's coming. So don't hit her up unless you know what you're talking about, right, Haley? Absolutely. You know that. It's funny you say that because I absolutely do roast everyone about that. But even I had a guy talk to me the other day. And he's like, oh, you're a Seahawks fan. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I don't know if you know this uh, fun little stat, but uh, Russ has never gotten an MVP vote. I was like, are you absolutely kidding me? You think I did not know that? Like, oh, my God. Do you know the story behind that? Behind Russ never getting an MVP vote? Yes. I mean, I don't don't understand how it's happened. Is there a story? So apparently Chris Collinsworth said this during a game broadcast that he didn't get his vote in for Russell Wilson on time. So he blames himself for Russell Wilson never getting an MVP vote. But with that being said, you're trying to tell me only one person was going to vote for him. Like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't either. But I, I, I was like, wait, that, that makes no sense. More people should have voted for Russ. Exactly. Like, that's what I don't get. But yeah, especially I will respect, like most people know probably a bit more about NFL football than me. But when it comes to college, especially, it's funny you say, you know, there's a million games on at a time. That's what I love because there's times where I have to work until 1130 on a Saturday night and I come home and the fun belt's still on, and Pac-12 after dark is the best thing in the entire world. The Pac-12 might not be the greatest conference in the world, but there's football on from noon until, like, 3 in the morning. It is amazing. There's so many different types of games. There's the West Coast Conference, the fun belts, Pac-12. Obviously, you've got your Power 5, Mountain West, Boise State. Everyone loves Boise State and their blue fields. It's just it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. The, it, we, we could be talking – all in all about college football and stuff. I might have to plan one just for you, Haley, but um, that, yeah, that, that's about all the time we have um, on this edition of the Kirby on Sports podcast. Zeth, Haley, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great pleasure talking football, college football, and uh, your career path with Sportsnet. Um, as always, keep on doing what you do best, and I appreciate you coming on. Let's definitely do this again soon. Absolutely, Josh. Thank you so much for having me on, and let me just ramble about college football and the Seahawks for minutes on end. I'm sure your listeners are going to love hearing my annoying voice. <laughs> it's very informative, to say the least. You do a great job, Haley. 
For myself, Josh Kirby, that's Haley McGoldrick. We're sponsored by Regroup Building Services and PM Plus Reserves. As always, big thanks to MPT Now Productions, Dave Johnson and Productions by Quet for all their support. You can catch us on all streaming platforms via the Josh Kirby on Sports Podcast, Anchor slash FM slash the Kirby on Sports Podcast. Make sure you give us a follow on all social media platforms as well. Until the next episode, remember to always create greatness and we will catch you next time. Peace out.